0: Hi, this is Gary Sheffer. Welcome to another edition of The Crux. This week, Mike and I talked to Mike Schoenfeld, who is the head of comms for Duke University, holds a number of other roles, which you'll hear about in our conversation. We talk a lot about how collegiate sports are changing, how they might affect the brand of big institutions, such as Duke, and really interesting insight from Mike into one of the great figures in all of sports, Coach Szefsky, or, or known as Coach K, and how his final year rolled out, uh, his 42nd year at Duke, and the role that communications played in announcing that retirement. So let, let's go to that interview. Today on The Crux, our guest is Mike Schoenfeld. He's the Vice President for Public Affairs and Government Relations and Chief Communications Officer at Duke University, one of the world's leading private research universities. Yeah, and that's a very long title for a very big job. Mike oversees communications and advocacy for the university and its medical center, leads the university's Washington, D.C. center, and serves as Duke's chief spokesperson. He directs Duke's local, regional, national, and global communications advocacy efforts. And he also teaches a class on media and politics. That sounds like a great class that I'd like to take at Duke Sanford School of Public Policy. Everyone in our profession seems to know Mike, and he's heavily involved in some of the professional organizations that we're all members of, in fact, Mike is the chair of the 2022 seminar at the annual gathering of communications leaders. And he may be, we think, the first chair from a university in the 70 year history of the seminar. So we're we're gonna talk about Duke, obviously, with Mike. And when you think about Duke, you think about one of the best places to learn in the world with its nearly 17,000 undergraduate and graduate students a highly respected medical center, and more than 45,000 employees. But when you think about Duke, you also think about sports, most specifically its men's basketball team. And we're going to talk with Mike today about what it's like to tell the story of such a respected institution. And we're going to focus uh, or start with a focus on the good and a bad from the reputation standpoint of college athletics. Mike, welcome.
1: Gary, thank you, Mike. Delighted to be here today and look forward to the conversation. Before we get into
0: broader questions about college athletics and higher education issues, let's take a moment to talk about the retirement of legendary men's basketball coach Mike Krzyzewski after 42 years at Duke, which is truly amazing. Coach K, as he's known, is the winningest coach in NCAA basketball history and almost as well known as Duke itself. Mike, Duke just completed a sort of nonstop retirement tour for Coach K that was probably unprecedented in college athletics. You know, we've seen like Derek Jeter and Kareem Abdul Jabbar retirement tours. I was involved when at the corporate level, we, we sort of did a retirement tour for Jack Jack Welch when I was at GE. This must have been a huge amount of work for you and your team. How much were you involved in it? And with Coach K leaving, how do you think that affects Duke's brand overall?
1: Well, thanks, Gary. In fact, it was unprecedented in college sports, and your comparison to the Jack Welch victory lap is probably more apt than anything else. Nobody's ever done this before. I, I, I say that maybe a bit hyperbolically, but, but not too much. The A coach who had an iconic coach, who has not just a reputation at the school and in the and in college sports, but you know, three-time Olympic gold medal winner, best-selling author, speaker—just the personification for many of college basketball and the personification for for many of basketball in general, not just in the U.S. but around the world. This was a pretty big deal, and we have been—you know—look, somebody's been around for you know 42 years. You naturally start wow. planning and thinking about about the transition and and coach K himself has been very interested in this because the t- when when you have had iconic coaches like that leave I will say rarely does it end well and I won't name names but you can you can you know sort of pick people in that pantheon and when they right. kind of their exit strategy is oftentimes not not very good so we have been quietly looking at and coach K has been very much a part of this looking at mm-hmm. how the tactically the different ways in which one transitions and he he decided wisely that he did not want to do it at the end of a season, having recruited a new class at the beginning right. of the next season. Again, having recruited students under under what he would describe as deceptive circumstances, and that he wanted to he wanted the opportunity to be direct about it, to be honest about it, to be forthcoming about it, and and also to give school and the sport the opportunity to kind of. You know, work through it, and right. and that all of that was very useful. So I'd say the first thing that we had to work with was truly secrecy, because the in the very hyperactive world of college sports, of college basketball, you know, no, nothing nothing happens that isn't immediately exposed and twisted and turned around on twitter and a whole lot of other places we had to th- this had to be kept very very quiet there was a right. very small number of people within the university even you know at the highest levels who were involved in this and aware of it I, you could probably count you know truly you could probably count on one hand maybe two hands those who were who sort of knew with some definitiveness when when this would happen and how this would happen and we and and that security was was very important and, and and Mike, I assume you were one of those people yes yeah I was I was involved fairly early on and and i've I've had the privilege really of working with coach k for the last 13 14 years in a variety of ways and have gotten to know him as a as a colleague as a friend and 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 as a coach and we can talk about that a little bit later but but yes i I'm Several of us have actually been sort of looking at the options and wargaming this for several years. We didn't know when the moment would be. And earlier this year, we were all told the moment would be be this season. So getting the kind of getting the plan, the timing, which is really important. And then once you move into that, the succession. So how long did that take getting that plan? Say so we started working on this, you know, in earnest, sort of planning for it in March, and the announcement was in June. You know, the second part of this was it's not just sending the old guy out, but it's also identifying and preparing the new person. And that, <laughs> yeah, you know, we we knew that that process that you know the person Absolutely. who succeeds Coach K would be the that would be the most scrutinized you know college basketball decision. The, I say this all hyperbolically, but. Not too much, yeah. In, in yeah, the modern absolutely. era, one thing that one thing that was very important for us was making sure that we kind of did the switch all at once, because if we had a if you if you look at programs around the country, if you announce on you know Wednesday that the you know the coach is stepping down, that sets off a feeding frenzy that makes you know the White House briefing room look like child's play, you know, who's next. 20, you know, every minute is, <laughs> is an hour. So you have huge distraction and you also have, let's face it, every basketball coach in America for that, for the moment that that is uncertain, every basketball coach in America goes into his athletic director's office and says, hey, you know, Duke is looking at me. Duke is talking at me.
2: So. It's like 100
1: people in the United States Senate who think they're going to be the next president.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: We, we would have been responsible for more contract extensions, raises, and everything else. So we, That's funny. We, you know, and, and then you've got to do that search and that process, which you know, it was a search and it was a process, yeah. so you've got to do that in secrecy as well. So there were a lot of moving parts here that, that, that all had to come together, not to mention getting all the material set, getting things sort of, you know, like literally the press, you know, this was going to be a huge press conference. This was going to be a huge event. Those things, as you you all know better than most, those things, you you just don't, you know, snap your fingers on Wednesday morning at nine o'clock and say, okay, go, you know, go set it up. So there were a lot of of pieces and parts that came together here. One one of the things I'm most proud of, and I think as fellow professionals will appreciate this, we managed to keep this locked up until about six hours before we were the trigger was now there are people who said oh this is like you know, yeah it leaked out and so, I, for me six hours was like i i will take that anytime especially in something like this i mean it-
0: oh, that's long odds mike long odds that you could keep it that tight
1: so we we had yeah we had a great internal team working on it and and then obviously you know Coach K himself is is masterful at, and we can talk about this maybe a little bit late, you know, sort of masterful at managing the the communications component. So all that to say, Gary, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of talking people off the ledge, as our jobs typically are. A lot of advising people how not to break into jail. You know, you, know, you, you may that, that sounds like a good idea. I know your friend at the country club told you that was a good idea, but trust me, it's not a good idea. So,
2: so that counseling part. Yeah, well, one of the things that's interesting here, too, is, and and maybe not everybody in our audience fully appreciates it, and I really got to appreciate it as as, as being of counsel to a number of universities across the U.S. at different points in time, but it is not necessarily the case that the head of communications and public affairs for a major university is also involved with the communications associated with the sports programs. In fact, there's a real bone of contention, particularly in large heralded programs that we think of in the SEC and the ACC and the Pac-10 and, or Pac-12 and, and so on. At what point did
1: sports kind of move inside the tent at Duke? Well, I so I have always been yeah from the moment I got here in 2008 I have always been involved and and in my previously before this I had a similar role at Vanderbilt University in the SEC and was very involved in in the sports in in our athletic program and activity and when I came here I think one of the reasons why I I was interested in being here why they were interested in, in having me is that I did actually did have that experience. This was also, I came to Duke shortly after the whole Duke lacrosse incident, mm-hmm. which led oh, yeah. to a, a right. resetting of a lot of people and priorities within, within Duke athletics. And, and one of the principal points that came, lessons out of it was the, import, the need for the university communications leadership to be much more deeply involved in, the, in athletics. I mean, I did it, you know, I have always found it to be absolutely vital. To be involved in the to be involved in sports. Now, that doesn't mean I tell them what to do. I don't. Ninety percent of what they do, they do really, really well. And that we, I say we, not they, really, really well. And it doesn't need the the involvement and the engagement of the, of the chief communications mm-hmm. officer. That said, I probably talked to the athletic director, the deputy athletic director. The coaches, you know, twice a day, three times a to. day. I've always made it a point to to get to know the coaches. I wanted them to know me before there was an issue. You know, I always travel with the football team. I'll go to a, a couple of games. I'll travel with the soccer team, with the best. You know, I like to and no and I yeah. <laughs> and you know, I can offer the best advice if I know if I'm deeply enmeshed and and aware of the people, and most more importantly, they're aware and they trust me. Well, and I think your model is exactly the right model because the brands are so intertwined. Well, and that, exactly the brand. I mean, it's not, they're not interchangeable. They are, it, it is the brand. This is the most, you know, there are 35 million people watching, you know, a national championship basketball game. There is nothing else like it, you know, anywhere in the in the university or in the academy. So of course we're, we're going to be concerned. And yeah. for, the, for those who, I'll say also for those who, and, and yeah, you know, Mike, as you know, especially having having done the, the counseling, there are many within the academy who look at this as a negative, as you know, somehow competing with or taking away from attention. I don't believe that at all. I think this is a, yeah, you know, this we have a this unique asset megaphone amplifier, interesting. And I'm going to use it the you know, to absolutely yeah you know, in any way that I can because nobody else has it.
2: Now, now going back to Coach K for a second. You know, it was interesting to watch him, particularly on the the back end of the tour, because he gave a few press conferences where almost uncharacterized characteristic for him, he was pretty critical of the NCAA for its handling of, more precisely in his view, not handling a variety of issues that impact college sport, especially when it comes to name, image, and likeness rights for college athletes. So as the university's chief communicator, did you counsel and coordinate with Coach K on those
1: press conferences and how to use that moment? Yeah, so so Coach K has always been a truth teller when it comes to college sports. That, this, this was not
0: <laughs> I can imagine.
1: This, this <laughs> was not the first time, not even the first time this year or, or or even this decade that he has been Mike that he has been sort of critical and and straightforward about the sport. He's been actually pretty vocal about it for a long time. So that was not at all surprising, nor. Out of character, nor unwelcome. Frankly, in terms of the coordination and the, I mean, look, Mike Shishovsky has given more press conferences than any you know human being on earth. Under and I, I actually started. I'll tell you, I when I came to Duke, I would go to the games. I, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a fan to begin with. I, by the way, I should tell you, I'm a Duke graduate. Coach K and I started the same year wow. in 1980. We were freshmen together, so I was at his first game, or at least I'm pretty sure I was at his first game. It was utterly unmemorable. <laughs> I can't prove it, but then again, nobody can disprove it. And one, it was it was against Stetson. It was November of 1980, and yeah, I can. There was no sign that said in 42 years, you know. Mike, you're going to be sitting here, not too far from where you sat before, at Coach K's, and the same person is going to be coaching, you know, in his last game. But in terms of, Amazing. so, so I started going to the games, and I would go to the press conferences afterwards because, to me, they, they've been a great learning experience. So I've been for 14 years. I've been going to many uh, of the post game press conferences, the preseason press conferences, because. I have learned a lot. There is there is an article that I'm, you know, sort of in my head and it's working on about what I've learned from coach Cave about communications, about working with the media, about honesty, about transparency, also about, you know, the importance of every aspect, you know, from the facial expressions to the way you come into a room, to the way you leave a room. You know, these are these are all things that that have been hugely valuable. So, you know, look on the basketball stuff, my eligibility ended a long time ago, so I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't phone in any plays, but over the years, and not just with coach K but with, with all of our coaches, when, when we've had, you know, institutional political conduct issues, we'll, we will work very closely. You know, the, the, we're fortunate at, at Duke and we've the coaches I have, have worked with have always had, the best interest of the students, the best interest of the university at heart when they have talked and when they have done things. And that, you know, that has been difficult and challenging sometimes for those who are more interested in competition, but it's really been to our credit. So so yes, when there's a challenging issue, when there is a you know something that's you know, outside the basketball world, we will talk about, talk through it, talk through the messages. So so was the name image and, and likeness issue a big issue? inside duke oh, it's a huge issue in college sports i mean sure probably sure, sure. The most disruptive there are a lot of disruptive issues in college sports that has probably been the most one of the most disruptive particularly for not so much for the students themselves but for competition and for recruitment and for for the mission of of college sports i mean right
0: Mike, can I, I do want to close out sort of the Coach K thing. I think the capstone on it, of course, is who's the new coach? And for you, is it like training? I, I hate to use that word, but advising, counseling a new CEO.
1: It is in a lot of respects. And we've had tremendous stability in the basketball staff. So the people I've, I've been working with for a while are the people who are there and they're, and they're fabulous. Right. The new coach is John Shire. He was the associate head coach for the last four or five years. I've actually watched him play in 2010 when Duke won the national championship. So... He's 33 years old, okay. t- which was the same age as Coach K when he came to Duke. He's a brilliant tactician, strategist. He's recruited so far not just the number one recruiting class for 2022, but the number one recruiting class for 2023. And wow. and I, I, this will sound horribly self-aggrandizing, but I, I got to know John when he was an assistant many years ago. You know, when he came to Duke, you know, whatever four or five years ago, and I've gotten to, got to know him pretty well personally as an assistant. So when he became the head coach that it was like counseling. It's like counseling a new CEO, a first time CEO, um, but also somebody that we have had that I've had and that we have had a relationship with. So, and he also will ask you know the, the best coaches are constantly asking for feedback and advice. Right. and you know John is brilliant about that as well. so it is you know it's a major transition, but I think we've probably done it we certainly have done it as well as we had hoped we could do it, <laughs> and I think we've done it you know obviously you know the r- results will be on the court in part and, and other things, but but I, I feel really, really good. more importantly, they feel really, really good. Yes, exactly.
0: Excellent. Well, you know, you you mentioned, I I mentioned, and then you uh, concurred that Jack Welch, we ran a really public horse race Mm -hmm. to replace Jack, who was the uh, most uh, well-known CEO at the time. And at your, um, the contrast of doing it privately and and at the same time, right? Announcing previous guy going new, new person starting is, I I, I think the way it's got to be done. And by the way, also Tangentially, but on another topic, you mentioned. I would advise you to take all that Coach K knowledge and turn it into a book. I bet you you could get ten publishers, Mike, that would sign you up for that one. And and there
1: there there I, there are a lot of people who have already beat me, beat me to it. And I, I mean, look I, I and I, 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 That's I true. come off That's true. sounding like the fanboy that I am. But he he is an extraordinary leader, not just a basketball coach. I mean, I have. Seeing situations that had nothing to do with basketball, in which his leadership and generosity will, uh, you know, set, set a standard uh, that I could never meet, and I, and I don't think many others could meet. I will add one more thing, you know, one more sort of complication, which I think you probably had with Jack Welch as well. Right, a hundred basketball coaches, Mike, could say what you said, what you attributed to Coach K. 99 of them it will disappear into the ether. Mm-hmm. So when but when coach K says something and this was you know this has been the case for many many years long before we this past year but when coach K says something for better or worse it it does get magnified it does get amplified exactly. it does, it is the crawl on SportsCenter. center it's amplified on social media so you know, certainly he's aware you we're know, we're all aware that you know when when Duke does something in basketball and it comes from coach K it's going to report. May not be fair. May not be accurate. May not be in context. We're not surprised when that happens. But, but, Mike, were there really any time where you had to say, uh, or, or
2: many times where, you, where where the university or even uh, Coach K had to say what
1: I meant to say was, or what he meant to say was? No, he, you know, he's he's he is who he is, and he is he is very direct. He is very. He, he understands politics as well as any politician, successful politician, I should add, not bad politician. He's also got a pretty wry sense of humor. Yeah, you know. Again, this this sort of you, yeah. You know, I I just watch, have watched in awe over the years, and I feel grateful that I've been able to, you know, kind of learn from it. That you know how to balance humor, how to balance a flash of, how to be irritated when you know some might say how to put somebody in their place, but like how, how to do that. So there's a lot that we you know from a community, just from a communications tactics and strategy that that we can learn from I mean because when you think about it after coaching and and recruiting dealing with the media and communicating and marketing and selling the you know the program and the brand that's what a coach does well uh, it's it's a, it's yeah. a really it's a great question and it's a question you know a spoiler alert it's a question without an answer right now
0: thank you for tuning in to this episode of the crux On The Crux, we discuss the intersection of communications, business, and society. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at thecruxpodcast.org. Now, let's get back to the episode.
2: Yeah, well, and to your point, This is all being redefined right before our very eyes. And one of the points in my mind of redefinition just happened a few weeks ago with a partnership that the men's soccer team at Duke engaged with a group called the Booster Training. And the Duke men's soccer team is like a top 10, top 20 soccer team. But essentially, as I understand it, this new platform enables aspiring college soccer players to get one-on-one training content and personalized feedback from the Duke men's soccer student athletes. So in, in some sense I guess this kind of work is, is kind of a different kind of deal than what we might think of in terms of sponsorships and appearances and, and, and appearances and ads to where now you've got the team you got coach John Kerr. We'll be providing training tips and feedback to prospective collegiate athletes. On one level, it's akin to a virtual sports camp opportunity, but this is a very different kind of partnership than what we've seen before. How does this, in your mind, align with the university's mission, and how much will kind of this mission match matter as you think about athletic partnerships going forward?
1: Yeah so I look at this in part as a a, a continuum because again you know we, we have had sponsors yeah. we, you know if you look at the sign it you know you go to a game you look at the sign engine, you know in the in the stadium in the arena for for a long time and we you know we we have both reconciled ourselves with that and actually created mutually beneficial relationships and established bumpers and, and guidelines so I think Mike, to some extent this is a i don't know maybe a brand extension as yeah. opposed to a you know to an entirely new product line what it is doing though is putting us you know us as institutions kind of in the position of making a lot of decisions in a very compressed period of time how for instance one of the biggest ones that we have, that we have to grapple with is do we and to what extent do we you know permit individual student athletes to use duke trademarks in their in their personal deal and is there value for the university in that? Well, exactly. You know, there's a, there's a licensing value. You know, our our marks are, are valuable. And, we, and like everybody else, we license them. And, and that's an important source of revenue. But do we permit those, you know, how, how do we permit individuals to use it? How do we, we have a way of monitoring and policing the use of it now? How do we extend it? I mean, these are... There, There is a tremendous amount of ferment in this field, both for the individual students. And, and remember, mo- you know, most student athletes are not going to have the multi-million. You know, we're, we're still talking about yeah. a very small sub that are going to actually get the, you know, the seven figure deals. That, But, you know, that's a fairly small number, you know.
0: You know, you know, Mike, as a Knicks fan, <laughs> I wish maybe the Knicks would just have a partnership with Duke. Right. <laughs> and we we take all your talent every year. You know, maybe. Not,
1: you know, RJ did pretty well. Right. He's, you know, he's, he, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, exactly. You, you got some, you got some Duke some some Duke love there. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Say, so, hey, so I want to ask two personal questions that I'm, I'm interested in, Mike, is. You teach a class, which I mentioned mm-hmm. at the top of the interview. I, and I always, Dave Demarest, who used to be out at uh, Stanford, right, in a similar role to you, also got to teach on campus. I thought that was pretty cool. So what's your class
1: about? Well, it's probably not nearly as interesting as Professor Sheffer and Professor Fernandez <laughs> doing, their, you know, doing, their, doing their work. But I, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not an academic. I, I was not trained as a teacher, but very early on when I came here, the dean of the public policy school asked me if I would be interested in teaching a seminar on the intersection of media, politics, and policy. Wow. And I said, sure. And then tried to figure out, I said, well, like, is there anything you want? He said, no, just you know, do whatever you want. So <laughs> over the years, I've sort of turned it into a an opportunity for students to interact with friends, colleagues, you know people from Washington and from New York and from business and from politics and from media and elsewhere and kind of have a you know, roving seminar so it's a combination of guest speakers various exercises you know probably not unlike what, what you're doing developing a campaign and then we end with a sort of massive simulation exercise in which I divide them up into teams and then they pick an issue on which they have to develop a campaign you know political right. media and others and then the 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 twist is whenever they select their issue I flip it and make them sell the opposite so you know they come in thinking <laughs> you know thinking that's a great
0: you know, idea uh-huh. yeah th-
1: thinking that they're going to you know a run a good campaign debate to technique. defeat a re- statewide referendum on same-sex marriage and I say no you actually have to sell this
0: campaign well now now you and, now you've spilled the secret here mike now they're going to they're going to listen to this and 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 know the.
1: <laughs> I have to come on. Well, uh, the other the other important thing, and and Gary and Mike, I'm sure you you deal with this, and, and you, learning how to network and yes. building relationships is such an important part of Completely. our business. So, I I. That's that is actually almost a mandatory part of the class, and they've had they realize and so the class has gotten kind of a reputation as being a place where some pretty cool people come in in person or by video. Yeah. By the way, I was for a long time, and I hope still for a long time, I would trade basketball tickets for visits. So I, I knew exactly. <laughs> No wonder you, could, you had you such could, such great talent in your classroom. Who <laughs> yeah, you could, you could be lowered down? And by the way, you all are on the list for the next time I teach it um, <laughs> with with some basketball tickets. But one of the great joys for me, as I'm sure as it is for you, is that I'm, you know, I'm in touch with and still count as good friends, students who were in the class 10, 12 years ago. They got yes. internships. They got jobs based on the the interactions that yes, they had exactly. with, with the people who came through the class, and it's just, yeah, you know, it's just a wonderful thing. I I would do it at, I would teach it at night, and my assistant will tell you every week, like every Wednesday in the afternoon, I'd stomp around saying, "Oh, why am I doing this? You know, I don't have time." It's, you know, <laughs> you know, well, if I ever say I'm going to teach a class again, make sure you you know tell me it's not going to happen. And then we'd have the class and it would be amazing and things, you know,
0: energizing and rewarding,
1: energizing people would, would, would sort of become different. You know, you could watch them over, over time. And then at the end, I'd say, okay, I'm really glad I did that. Let's, you know, let's do it again next week.
0: Well, as I said, Mike, that's a class I want to take, but with my grades, I could never get to Duke. So, <laughs> Look, you, you with know, my, I, a... <laughs> with my
1: grades, I'm amazed I got out. Of Duke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, hey, so, so w- one other
0: thing, and and if you don't mind, you were telling Mike and I a story before we started recording about your work at Voice of America, and particularly the story about uh, the Caribbean. Would you mind telling us again what you did? At VOA and and this story about uh, how what you did was used in the Caribbean.
1: Yeah, so I I started anchoring. There was there was sort of a. Newscast that nobody wanted. I probably like you. I have made a career of volunteering to do things that no other sane person wanted to do. You know, <laughs> figuring that if I succeeded, nobody would ever forget it, and if I didn't, nobody would ever remember. So, so there was a newscast that that was had to be started for briefly for the particular part of the Caribbean. And I volunteered to do it. I was also helping to create the Creole service. So I I learned just enough Creole to, I forgot, since forgotten it, but I learned just enough Creole to to get Mm -hmm. along. But I had this newscast that was just kind of a straightforward newscast that was being used at the, I later learned, at the U.S. Embassy in Port-au-Prince for their English teaching. So every day at six o'clock, students would come in for their English classes at the embassy, and they would end by listening to my newscast, which I didn't learn about for a little while. And then I was sort of alternately honored and horrified that there were people who were, were learning English listening to me. I have not met any of them yet. I hope it, it took, but but you know, in retrospect, it was actually, it was kind of cool. And it reminded me again that when we're, you know, whether it's a podcast or, we, you know, when, when we have the privilege of being, presenting our ideas and projecting things to the public, how that gets used and how that gets interpreted can be very, very powerful and ver- and and very meaningful. You know, Mike, one of the things that's interesting to
2: me is I don't know that people fully appreciate the vastness of... Duke University. I think there's a tendency for people to focus in on the campus in terms of Durham, North Carolina. And obviously in your role as as, as the head of public affairs and government relations and chief communications officer, there's a, a broad expanse and that expanse is changing every day, but it brings into mind another story that I, that I heard you tell before about when you were at VOAD, Voice of America. And you were uh, thrown into a sports reporting job and that you were having to learn about the sport of cricket just as you were reporting on it. And I wonder if, if, if
1: you have days at Duke that still feel like that. Yes, I do. I, I had to I had to learn cricket in a day and broadcast it on the world <laughs> report to, you know, 10, 20, 30 yeah. million people that night before YouTube and basically with, you know, dusty book of the rules of all of all games. And and Mike and Gary, you'll appreciate this, a wire service, you know, yellow wire service copy with a box score. So you know, you're a baseball fan imagine being given the box score of the Yankees Red Sox game and you've never seen baseball before and <laughs> somebody says what ha- was this a high scoring you know slugfest was this a low scoring pitcher's duel what exactly happened in that third line there so it t- first couple of days were a little rocky but then i got pretty good at at you know get, getting it through but get and sounding like i knew what i talked about having never seen a cricket match but Mike, to, to your point, you know Duke is, and probably not unlike you know the, the places that you've been, this is an enormously complex place. We have 45,000 employees, 17,000 undergraduate and graduate students. We have programs. We have a university in China. We have a medical school in Singapore. We have people in programs all over the world. Every part of the human experience from birth to death happens at Duke in some form or another, every single day, oftentimes multiple times a day. So it is impossible for any one person to know everything that's going on, to understand everything that's going on, to assess everything that's going on, to defend or criticize everything that's going on. So yes, there, there are many, many days where I will come in have not knowing anything, not even knowing that we did something. And by the end of the day, I have to you know, figure out not just how to explain it but but more importantly how to give advice and counsel to people for whom you know they may be thrust in and we 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 can a whole other show talking about the politicization and the polarization of higher education, but people who are in circumstances that you know we have all read about and have to get out of it. You know, smart people doing stupid things is one part of the of the job. Yeah, you know, uh, protecting people from you know smart people from have, from who have done stupid things, but smart people who have done smart things and have consequences that would be unimaginable is just you know the corner of the room. These these are. Incredible, if I can give a pitch, these are incredibly complex, challenging, you know, positions, because they never go away. It's 24-7. If you're at a university with a medical center and students and everything else, there is no line between the university and the outside world. And everybody you know, they're highly visible and valuable brands, and everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. You have more stakeholders than than you can imagine. On the flip side, and then I'll end the monologue I promise, <laughs> on the flip side, if you're at a place like Duke or like BU, you you know, we don't have a stock price. So we have the ability, if we're willing, and this is again another part of the job, to take the long view. If something happens at Duke or at BU, tomorrow a quarter of your students are not going to leave you know, a quarter of your employees are not going to go away. And these are very enduring institutions. You know, Duke is a young university. We're only, we're we're not even 100 years old yet. And that's in the, you know, the world in which we, you know, inhabit, you know, down the street from you all is the oldest, the oldest corporation in America is the Harvard Corporation. You know, that is the oldest ongoing, and they're coming up on 400 years. So, at a hundred years old, we're you know we're, we're basically we're like barely into adolescence.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a great place to end it. And as you say, it's complex, it's twenty four seven, etc. I imagine it's also very re- rewarding on a day to day basis.
1: Oh, it's rewarding and great fun. And especially to be an alum. Yeah. And and if you're in these roles, you you, know, you take it seriously and you do it well and you do it right. I have the license to be involved in anything that's happening at Duke medical sports, philosophy, community global and I can't imagine a more you know exhilarating opportunity frankly than to be inv- you know, to have that, the the all access pass to pretty much everything that's happening here. that's great
0: well thank you, Mike. This has been really fascinating, particularly for two sports fans, nuts like Mike <laughs> and I, but also the insight and in particularly into Coach K and that transition. I mean, that's a that's a case study that HBR would be proud of, right, Mike? I mean, it's really terrific. So, Mike Schoenfeld, who's the VP for Public Affairs and Government Relations and Chief Communications Officer at Duke University, thanks for being on the Crux.
1: Thanks. Thank Thank you, Gary. Thanks, Mike. Really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Crux. Our producer is Boston University student Anna Hwin. This episode and other episodes are made possible by the Boston University College of Communication, or COM, as it is known. Located in the heart of downtown Boston, COM is BU's home to the studies of advertising, emerging media, film and TV, journalism, media science, and public relations. At COM. We seek to build understanding among people through better communication. Find out more at www.bu.edu forward slash com.